Hey, Lauren here. And Kate. We just wanted to drop in really quickly before our regularly scheduled episode to let you know that we have thoughts about the new television show. So, so, so many thoughts. As you all know, we've been waiting. You've been waiting. July 3rd is now coming on. The series is epic, amazing. We have a lot of things to say. We know you guys have a lot of things to say, and we can't wait to have those conversations with you. So we're definitely going to have to be doing a little bit more of a deep dive into this show, and we are very excited to bring that to you. Exactly. So we are so excited that we decided we are going to make a very special summer series. Um, We are going to take a pause on our regularly scheduled book-by-book episodes and spend weekly episodes with you talking about our thoughts and feelings on the series. And there may be a couple surprises in there for you along the way as well. Yep. We're very excited. We're figuring it out as we go. And we will definitely let everyone know as those episodes are dropping. So either subscribe on you know iTunes, uh, Spotify, wherever you get the episodes normally so that you get them right in your feed. We'll also be posting on social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Generation BSC so you're up to date on what's happening and when those episodes are going live. And for now, we'll bring you back to our regularly scheduled episode. Bye. Bye. I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC, the podcast where we reread the Babysitter's Club books and mine them for life lessons and juicy nuggets of goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thought I'd spice things up a little bit this morning. Uh, But in all honesty, what we do is read our way through the series and take a look back at um, what we got out out of them then, what we get out of them now, how... Um, it's shaped us and a little bit of a spoiler alert for this one. Um, I had a couple of, oh, that's where that come from, came from moments, uh, while reading this one. Cause, um, as noted, I am a Christie, um, (laughs) for better and worse. (laughs) Well, we will get into it cause I didn't have the same reactions to this one, maybe because I'm not a Christie. So I'm interested to see what your <laughs> takeaways from a tri- being a child reading these and learning from Christy, what those are going to be. Some you will never see coming. <laughs> why, why are we playing so coy? Um, let's dive into it. What book are we talking about this week? Um, we're talking about book number 20, which is Christy and the Walking Disaster. And we will come to l- discover that Jackie Rodowski, that we have come to know and love over a couple books in the past, is the walking disaster of the title. But... We'll get into that. Why don't you give us the back of the book description and see if maybe that gives us a little insight into (laughs) what we're talking about this week. You got it. So, um, yes, Christy and the Walking Disaster uh, was released in January 1989. We are still in Anne M. Martin's territory. Okay, back of the book. They're lean. They're mean. They're the pride of Stony Brook. Who are they? They're Christy's Crushers. When Christy sees how much her little brothers and sister want to play on a softball team, she starts a ragtag team of her own. Maybe Christy's crushers aren't world champions. How could they be with Jackie Radarski walking disaster playing for them? But nobody beats them when it comes to team spirit. Now, 
Bart's Bashers have challenged the Crushers to a real live game. It's bad enough that the Bashers truly are lean and mean, but what's worse is that Christy has a crush on the Bashers' coach. A crush with a capital C. Pretty on point, actually. Yeah. <laughs> not not as fun happens in this book, so they did a good job being you know, right on track with writing the back of the book description on this one. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I'm, I'm trying to remember, I think there was one other time we were like, nope, that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. just then, just that <laughs> Usually once. it's a little um, over the top and focusing on like half the story <laughs> or focusing on one tiny piece that's like irrelevant in the overall exactly. plot of the book. Here it's like, right. nope, you, you got it. Back of the book writer, whoever you might be. And if I recall correctly, the last time the back of the book got it right was a, a book very similar to this. That was um, one of the fluffier mm-hmm. books. Um, Which so probably makes sense because yeah. when it's a fluffier book, there's not as much you know nuance or you know crazy twists coming into it. It's just sort of like, yep, it is what it is. It's a nice little light book where not too much happens, but we get to spend time with characters that we know and love. Yeah, that w- that basically sums up my entire thoughts about this book. Uh, <laughs> there's there's not a lot of there there, yeah. but I enjoyed the ride. Um, so the end, we can uh, – well, look, we've done it in five minutes. That's a new record for us. <laughs> <laughs> and we're done. I hope you all had a great time listening this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in, in, before we get into uh, past our, our initial um, overall feelings, why don't you get specific for us? Let us know what actually happened. That I can do. So the Christie-specific plot line in this one, Christie sees the opportunity for kids who want to play baseball or softball who might not otherwise be able to play Little League, mostly due to age or lack of skills, but also due to walking disasterness in Jackie Radowski's case, and forms Christie's Crushers with a K after a babysitting job for the Radowskis when Jackie laments not being able to play with Shay, his older brother. In the process of setting up the team, Christy meets Bart Taylor, a boy who lives in her neighborhood who coaches a similar team called Bar- Bart's Bashers, and immediately gets a capital G, capital C, gigantic crush. She spends the book focusing on the crushers, running practices, setting up their first game, coordinating uniform t-shirts and refreshments, and dealing with the Bashers' terrible behavior towards the crushers, while also trying to figure out how she feels about Bart as they spend more time together, and he completely fails to keep the Bashers in line. She spends a good deal of time with Watson working on the team, and he proves to be a pretty fucking awesome stepfather, and she ends up using his advice to her team. Always do your best, and, be, and I'll be proud of you with the team. Sorry. He uses his advice to her, which is that, with the team. <laughs> I was trying to, like, revise <laughs> while I was talking. Anyway, so she uses that advice that Watson gave to her um, with the rest of the team, Jackie in particular. She ends the book as... Uh, definitely at least friends with Bart, but with a maybe more on the horizon when he asked her to go out sometime, maybe to a game. The Babysitter's Club generally in this book, uh, to be frank, (laughs) the rest of the Babysitter's Club doesn't have much to do in this book, mostly serving as backup for Christy at team practices in the game against the Bashers and providing kid-related details to the narration for events when Christy isn't actually there. Not, Not too much for the rest of the girls. They're sort of tagging along to things or helping in the beginning of the book get you know, team members for the crushers that, you know, get the kids sort of on board and excited. And other than that, they're just sort of like around. (laughs) Yeah. I I think I just keep coming back to the fact that throughout the whole thing, there's just not a lot of there, Mm -hmm. there. There's just like, this is the first time 
what is the central conflict of this book? There, I, I mean, there's a game that is the 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 main um, action, but like there is no driving like theme. There's no, um, I, I mean, they do sort of the do your best no matter what, but yeah. it's not like there's um, a specific action or or, or conflict or. I don't know. It just felt unfocused, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the only, to... the only real like conflict, it sort of comes as a result of them making this team and setting up a game against the bashers. Cause the bashers come to one of their practices and are pretty shitty little kids, like making comments. Oh. But like, other than like, that's sort of, that's not really like the driving force of the book. It's just sort of like a side conflict. And it comes in three-fourths of the way through. That was right. the first thing that I, I thought, too. I was like, oh, this is the first sign of real conflict we have in this book. And we are on page, like, 125 out of 158. Like, there's... Well, it's um, probably not quite that late in the book. Because no, we're already into not, the game at that point. The game might even true. be over on 128. You're right. But, but yeah, but I, it's so definitely... I mean, Go figure, me being a little dramatic. <laughs> the Crushers have had a few... Pra- I mean, I think over the course of this book, they have maybe like six practices. And the Bashers come to maybe like practice four. So it's it's well into the book. It's not like they show up at the first practice and are like, oh, look at these dumb kids. Let's make fun of them and be shitty. Like the Crushers have had a little bit of an opportunity to start to work together and become a team before the Bashers even really show up as characters. Like there's sort of an amorphous idea of, you know, there's this other team that maybe we'll play at some point and then they get the game set up and then the Bashers come to a practice to sort of like scope out the competition. And I think it's even the that lends to the... I don't even know how to say what I'm, I'm I'm like trying to describe. I'm dancing around it. It lends to the unfocused nature, the fact that the they, there doesn't seem to be a consensus on who exactly the bashers are mm-hmm. consistently throughout the book. Because when they're introduced, they're introduced as an alternative to Little League, this, the exact same thing that the Crushers are. Right. But then the Crushers are, are meant to be the same thing, except all of the sudden then they need the bashers to be the bad guys so they went from being like a fellow misfits team to this lean mean baseball machine and, and like yeah. i was like where did that come it's from definitely, that's not yeah it's weird because even in like the stony brook sort of like community sports situation it sort of sounds like there's you know there's like t-ball for the younger kids and then there's like a little bit more advanced little league and then there's like quote-unquote like real little league and so it's yeah it's sort of like well then what are the bashers even doing because by the time we get to the game they're presented as like very focused and very determined and like maybe a little bit too young for real little league but like it sounds like there's like the step below little league in like proper you know quote unquote properly organized team structure so it's like why are these kids who are good at baseball not on one of these more official league teams exactly especially because it's framed at repeatedly um problematically in my opinion that the kids are too embarrassed that's the word they keep using they're too embarrassed to play in the little league team mm-hmm. um Which, uh, that is a whole, there's a whole mess of stuff that's not great about this book. Um, But that one really kind of stood out out to me. And Bart's bashers in no way seem embarrassed to not, or too embarrassed to play for Little League. 
they seem like classic bullies, like mm-hmm. in a very um, cliched camp movie way, like the the prepper prepsters across the lake, um, which is, I mean, I guess not far off from who they actually yeah. are. Although my thinking is, because like in high school, and this is not necessarily like maybe it even was my personal experience. Like I was never the popular kid, but there were definitely kids that even me not being popular, I thought I was cooler than. So like For sure. it could be that like Bart's bashers are, they, they know that they're not as cool as the actual little league kids, but they see the crushers and they're like, Oh, but we're still better than them. Like that's sort of how I, I guess I didn't really interpret it this way until like, as you were talking, I sort of formulated this. Like, I think, I think my hope is that that's more what it was supposed to be because it doesn't, like you're saying, it doesn't make sense if they're actually like super talented and really good and like could be on Little League, in which case it makes no sense that they're not on Little League. Also, they're the only other ragtag softball team. So like who were they playing before Christy created her team? You know, if they're not playing Little exactly. League and there's no other sort of one-off team that does its own thing like what's the point you guys just like run drills and play practice games against each other yeah so I um I actually had that note written down uh, um that when you feel less than then uh, a lot of times people will then choose to punch down to make themselves Mm -hmm. feel more but that was more in reference to their really really shitty behavior like I was talking uh, initially about in terms of like there was an inconsistent level of ability um that was laid out where the initial introduction of the bashers was they can't play they're like they're not good enough to play on the team and then when they show up for this final game they're suddenly like um i don't know the the yankees or something um the although they actually aren't that great you know, like that's true. The Crushers have a two and a half year old on their team, and like the Crushers were winning for a while and keeping it pretty close. So like, the Bashers can't be that good. You know, like if they were the You're Yankees, right. and this is they're like, let's say the Crushers are like the actual bad news bears, and the, the Bashers are like the actual Yankees. Like it would have been a blowout, and like the Crushers are, true. hold their own pretty well. Like obviously they're not quite as focused necessarily, um, but I I. I feel pretty proud of our crushers and I don't think that the the bashers are like blowing them out of the water. No, that's very fair. I guess it's more, um, they lost the ragtag nature is I guess where, where I'm really coming down on. Cause Although right. that they're could not, have been a reaction great. of to Bart. Their, yeah. Cause, cause I, Bart, say, I mean, yeah. at the end of the book and I mean, I we're sort of jumping around discussing the, the softball aspect of this book, but by the end of the book, Bart, like admits to Christy, like when I came to your practice, I was nervous. Like I thought, I thought we were going to show up and be like, oh, that's adorable. Look at these little kids, you know, cause they're so much younger, but like he sees them practicing and he's like, oh shit. Like these kids are actually pretty good and not just like pretty good considering they have a two and a half year old. Like they're, they're doing some, some good baseball, softball work here. So maybe he was like, okay guys, we got to like double down on the practices. You need to show up and be focused, you know, like it could be more of a like reaction on Bart's part, which it would have been nice if we had sort of gotten that description somehow because it does just sort of like change. It would have, 
what you just described is a better book is mm-hmm. that, you know, he was coaching this team and not taking it very seriously. And then Christy was inspired to do it. And there it became a competition between the two of them. But they both realized that they were, um, that the, the, they're pushing each other, made them better and made them better coaches to the kids. Like there's a conflict. And then, and then we really get into the, Christy crush of it all, which we haven't even talked about, um, and which is, I, I, I guess, would be kind of the like big thing from this book, mm-hmm. but it doesn't even get to feel like a big thing because so many other random bullshit is happening around it. Like it just that's I, I, I don't know. I think I'm talking myself into liking it less than I <laughs> than I did when I when I read it. Um, but before we get into get off of the like softball and and the Bart's bashers of it all. We've mentioned a couple of times that the bashers are shitty. When we say shitty, I mean like beyond bullshit level shitty, like really problematic stuff. Um, The number of time fatso is used in this book is alarming. Mm -hmm. And there is zero pushback on that language. In fact, um, like other than the, at first I was like, mm, it's not great, but obviously you're not supposed to be like saying what these kids say. But then at the end, when Christy's talking about like how they are a team of misfits, and we do have, you know, this and that she goes and big kids in parentheses, well, fatso's like she yeah. even said it. And I was, that's when I, Ooh, Ooh, that triggered me in a big way. That was not great. Um, we talked about how the, the, they sort of kept coming back to Jackie Radarski, but he doesn't really like do anything um, or tie into any of the themes in any way. I, so it's really odd that his name gets hung on this book. Um, but he was sort it, of the inspiration, you know, him and, true. you know, David Michael and Karen and Andrew, you know, two different like babysitting jobs. Christy starts to like formulate the idea. So I think. I, that's, I mean, that's sort of the only reason and that it's, I think, sort of makes sense because it makes more sense to call it Christy and the Walking Disaster than like Christy and the time that she babysat her siblings and they wanted to play baseball. <laughs> well, I, it could have been like something like Christy and the Crushers. I mean, uh, we didn't need to like tie it to a specific kid, but that's neither here nor there. The real point I was making is at the end when, um, oh, so the fatso was really messed up. And then, oh, all of the, the dummy stuff mm-hmm. around, um, and like, obviously, you know, you're not supposed to be doing that, but there was not nearly enough pushback, especially because at the sum up at the book, when they're having their Danny Tanner moment and Bruce Bart is saying, um, you know, my kids shouldn't have done that. I let them get out of control. I heard what they said to the kid who ran into the, the, um, whatever the cage talking about Jackie because they wanted to tie it back to the title that that's what this all came from. But really that's what you're, um, apologizing for. Not the fatso, not the incredibly ableist dummy. Like as an aside, Lauren's talking about them calling Matt Braddock, the deaf kid oh, on yes, the team, sorry. a dummy. <laughs> Just so everyone knows, because it's sort of specific, and that is why it's very ableist. You're right. I did. I did not specify. I got too hot too quick, and <laughs> and just assumed that you were all right there with me. But that really that that really really pissed me off. And that that's not a function of. Um, I, I I know it's a function of the times, but like, do better. That 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 is what you're apologizing for, making fun of clutziness and not actual bullying of. Uh, I, and anyway, so I need to get off that because I'll get mad again. But yeah. um, one good thing, that really... not good, but 
Haley, Matt's sister, gets like a yes. a good like smackdown moment after. So not that this like excuses Bart from having or should have. He, Bart should have apologized for everything, and in particular the like very, you know, Jackie running into the the batting cage is yes, they shouldn't have made fun of him for that, but making fun of um, Jake Coon's weight or making fun of Matt Braddock for being deaf, like yeah, <laughs> Bart acknowledge how terrible those kids are and that you should be apologizing for them. They should be apologizing for themselves. And but my thought is, I don't know if maybe the book thinks that because Haley called the kids out in the moment, they didn't need to like bring it up again. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. That's my only thing of like, maybe they thought because they had addressed it then that we didn't need to also have Bart address it again. I mean, I don't love that excuse and I'm not giving it an excuse, but like, because I really did love like Haley shutting that down and like standing up for her, her brother. And I thought that was like, and it was nice that it was like in the moment. It wasn't Bart at the end of the book saying like, oh yeah, remember when my kids did that? That was bad. Like we got Haley immediately being like, shut it, shut up. Like that's bullshit. Don't talk to my brother like that. Yeah, absolutely. And she does her, that moment is fantastic. In fact, in my notes, it just says Haley equals little badass. Mm -hmm. Um, and um, so I, I, you're right. I'm really glad that she got that power moment. Yeah. But it, but them, it doesn't excuse the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, for them in any way. to not have have their own coach, like, push back on that. And really, like, I know we keep saying that, that Bart didn't do this and Bart should have done this as if he's a real person. Like, <laughs> right. in this case in particular, I put this fully on. This was not an intentional choice to have Bart choose to focus on the wrong things. This is Anna M. Martin not understanding right. um, what the harm of that was. Right. And well, I again, mean, the the use the fact that Christy uses fatso as well mm -hmm. is a exactly. real clear indication that like that in the writing of this and the editing of this like oh yeah that's okay like that it's okay to use that word and to make that seem like a bad thing like someone's weight yeah, is bad not like yeah because it, it, it's not it's definitely not saying it's okay to call someone fat so it's just acknowledging that being fat is worthy of being it it, it doesn't say how do i want to say this the book is not positing that calling someone a fatso is okay. It very clearly says that's wrong. However, what it it doesn't do is say that calling someone f fat is wrong because um, it's not wrong to be fat. Like the book still clearly believes it's wrong to be fat. It's right. just wrong to not to acknowledge that. Right. You're not supposed to specifically tell someone that it's, they're fat and that's bad, but it is bad that they're fat. Which is, exactly. Thank you. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, why it was uh, – that was a, a whole mess of how to get that out. But it, it's a, <laughs> honestly, it's a really sensitive topic for me and um, I, I have had weight issues my whole life. I, it's something that I still am working on, on body positivity and it, this is one of the ways that I – like reading this book was like, oh, a lot of the bullshit that I still – struggle with now that is still paying my therapist's boat bills. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um <laughs> But whatever, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'm still trying to unpack to this day is that sort of casual um, assumption, mm -hmm. that, that baseline assumption that permeated the idea that to be fat, it means you are less than as a person, that you are a failure of some kind. Um, and I, I got that message from a lot of places, I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. um, 
And one of them is unfortunately stuff like this. Yeah. Um, and, and that messaging doesn't go away. It, it, it stays with you. And, um, you know, some people are, are better at getting past that than other people, but, um, it just sucks. So I, I'd really, I mean, obviously they're, again, we talk about being a product of the time and not, not understanding some of this discourse and, um, and yeah, we understand that that's not an excuse. And, um, that's one of the things that we're talking about it now, the, the mm-hmm. fact that we can still grow and develop. And, uh, you know, I, I know that I'm saying, I say things wrong that it, six months from now, two years from now, 10 years from now, I'm going to look back and be like, oh my God, I can't believe I said or mm-hmm. thought or did X, Y, Z. That's, that's how the world works. We, we grow and we evolve and we get better. Hopefully knock on wood. That's what I, I, I still believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, didn't need to get all like deep and personal and have a huge moment <laughs> there. But, um, that was one of the things that really, um, resonated and, it, it, it was, I think what was most upsetting to me is it was just sort of a, mm, yep, kind of a moment like mm-hmm. to be expected. Like it wasn't shocking the way that um, the dummy stuff was shocking that they didn't unpack that. It just felt like, yep, that sounds about right. Par for the course. Well, and that's the thing that's sort of interesting is like, you know, going to what you just said about like, you know, in six months, two years, whatever, you and I both might have a realization that we were saying things that we shouldn't have been saying, or we should have been phrasing things differently or thinking about things in a different way. And, you know, us as human beings will obviously learn and grow every day and, you know, try to be better every day. Um, And obviously like the books that I have are from 1989 or 1988 or, you know, whatever year they were published. So like for those, it's like, okay, so it's a product of its time. It's, you know, it's a document from 1989. So it can't change because that's what it is. But like you're reading the electronic versions and like there was an opportunity to make an update, add a sentence to Bart's, you know, um, apology that sort of calls out these things that aren't okay. You know, they weren't okay then, but like we've come to learn and see that we need to approach things in a different way and we need to work to try to counteract that sort of ingrained thing in our culture that, you know, it's okay to think that people who are fat are, you know, it's, they're the problem and it's bad and they need to change and they're failing on some level. You know, they, Scholastic and Anna Martin had the opportunity when they updated these books to fix some of these things, you know, like taking out Mallory's use of the word retarded is a, mm-hmm. a very good example of that. And that is not something that they thought that they should do here. And it's a little, it's disappointing that they haven't done that. And I'm, hopeful that as they continue through doing the updates with the graphic novels, maybe that is a change that'll be made now because we're so much further along. Cause I'm, I'm sure that they did the electronic versions, not too oh, far. Yeah. I'm sure it's you been, know, like it's, it's been a while. Yeah, I mean, I think I can I'm even not, find out on my copy. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying that we should completely let them off the hook because it's been, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever. Like it, it's, it's always been a problem, but like it's still, disappointing that they haven't made that update is sort of, I think where I'm getting at. Cause we're all learning and growing and it would be nice if as these books were updated, the books learned and grew and, you know, helped make kids be better people as they're reading them for the first time now. Okay. So I definitely agree with you. And I, I that it brought me to a really interesting thought Bef- before I dive into it. I just want to note that the electronic book versions are 96. So, oh, okay. Uh, 
so not not as late as I thought. Mm-hmm. So that's you know better question mark. <laughs> right. But what it was making me think of as you were talking about it, and I whoa did not expect to tie this book to the current Black Lives Matter movement. But um, we're having a lot of conversation now around what things were acceptable as a product of our time and do we just change that and ignore Mm -hmm. it and pretend it didn't happen or do we try to contextualize it and put a note and like in some ways yes i fully agree getting rid of the word um especially retard getting rid of the word fatso that those are steps that need should be happening and do we just not acknowledge that that happened that 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 came from somewhere Mm -hmm. but at the same time these are children's books and i don't think the kids need a whole discourse on why we, you know, on that here. But I think it might be, you know, a lot of these have a, a note in the back from the author or like resources for parents. Mm-hmm. It might make sense to, similar to how um, HBO Max did the Looney Tunes and mm-hmm. the Gone with the Wind, uh, you know, just some historical context in the in the beginning and said, you know, this is no longer, um, we've learned, we've grown, we've, this is no longer acceptable. And this is how people thought at that time. And I don't know. I have complicated feelings about a lot of this. Um, and I, I've been doing tons of reading on, you know, lots of different thoughts and opinions on on how people view all these things. And, and there are no easy answers. Um, but it's just fascinating. I never in a million years suspected <laughs> while reading this book that we would be having this mm-hmm. conversation. Um, so that's, I love when stuff like that happens. Definitely. Um, anything else about about those things before we move on to some of the other i mean there's I not a ton else but yeah i mean it's I, mostly like random thoughts yeah I, I mean i think we can sort of transition into the discussion about you know christy's first real crush and bart and everything but i, I think we're we're pretty tapped out on the <laughs> the softball christy's crusher side of the the plot on this one since yeah. like you said there's not much there <laughs> for us to talk about Oh, other than before we move away from the crushers too far, I just have to say, um, again, not clear why Jack, why they picked Jackie out of, they could have grabbed any one of the kids and named it after them, but I do have, I do love him. Um, especially because Jackie Radowski grows up to Radowski. I can never say his name. Jackie Radowski grows up to be Jerry from Parks and Rec. For sure. (laughs) Because when they're explaining him, all I could think of was the, um, the scene where Ron explains the Yiddish saying that um, the the Shmiel is the person who spills the sloop and the Shlamazel is the one who has it dumped on them. Mm-hmm. Jerry is both. That's Jackie. Like that that description perfectly sums him up. So that just made me that made me smile all the way through. A hundred percent. So Christy has her first gigantic crush in capital letters. <laughs> I I'm dubious about this whole crush thing. Not, I think Christy's because... dubious about it too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, because to like, to like firm up your opinion, like uh, I think Christy's on the same page about gigantic crush. There is a, um, a, a sense that this just feels forced in a way that the Marianne and Logan stuff doesn't. And I, and I don't know how much of that is me reading into it as a queer person, really wanting to see, queer representation in these books and, and knowing Anna Martin and, and identifying with Christy and like all that's tied up in there, obviously. And she just doesn't seem like she, like she keeps saying it's a gigantic crush, but she doesn't really 
act that way. And well, her she doesn't don't... even tell any of the babysitters club, including Marianne. Like she doesn't tell them anything about having any kind of like the only thing she tells any of them about Bart is like Bart is the coach of this other team. We're going to have a game against his team. The end. Like she doesn't even like mention like, oh, he's cute. I have a crush on him. Like I made an excuse to walk my dog down the street near his house because I hoped maybe he'd be outside too. Like nothing. None of them have any indication that Christy has any kind of crush. And I feel like even though this is, you know, let for the case for like assuming arguendo, Christy does have a gigantic crush on Bart. It's her first crush. What would she do? I know she would feel weird about it because it's her first first quote-unquote real crush. You know, like I said, assuming that she actually does have a huge crush on Bart. Maybe she's feeling weird and she doesn't know exactly how to process it. She would at least talk to Marianne about it. Even if she didn't want to talk to all of the babysitters, Marianne's her best friend. Marianne has a quote-unquote serious boyfriend. She would at least talk to Marianne, and I think it's weird that she doesn't talk to any of them about Bart at all. See, so I'm going to disagree with you there because that part felt very real to me. I still to this day um, try to play it close to the chest when I like someone and it takes me a while to tell you guys when I have some kind of a crush. I keep it to myself quite a bit Um, and I don't know why that is. Like it's not like it's not like I think you would judge me or anything Um, but I just sort of there's something about the early going where I need to process it myself. So that to me didn't feel weird, especially when she was like, oh, I didn't want stupid Dawn was like picking up on what was going on. I don't want her to know that I like this person because she didn't know what to do with it. Um, So that to me made sense, but it was the way that she was like talking about it where she was like, did I want him to walk me home? Like even in her inner dialogue, she was very- Well, that was because she didn't really- trust him at that point because of the way that that's the true. like i think that's part of the problem with sort of the the crush aspect of this story is like because it's more than just i have a crush on this boy like there's all these other things related you know bart is so ingrained in all of these various pieces of this story and so many things happen that sort of you know he seems great he seems terrible he seems better like I think that's part of the problem is like, it's not just she's dealing with this boy at school. Like if it was Alan Gray, for example, like she, it would be sort of, okay, everything's sort of the same. There's not all these extra things of like, he's coaching a bunch of kids who are treating my kids terribly and he's not doing anything about it. So that sort of impacts it. And I think that obviously how a crush, how someone you have a crush on acts you know, day to day would impact how you feel about them. But I feel like because of the heightened emotions of everything else that's in this book, I think that that sort of throws off the crush storyline a little bit. Like it would be one thing if he was just like a boy that was around and like sort of interacting, maybe the way that Logan was, for example, you know, he's Mm -hmm. babysitting some of the kids, but it's not, it's not quite as extreme. And I think that's part of the issue is like part of her, sort of fluctuation and wishy-washiness about how she feels is because she doesn't like the bashers and the way that they're treating her kids. And again, I think that that all of that is far more interesting to follow and really get into than what we got out of this book. Like you keep describing <laughs> a book I want to read. <laughs> um, okay. So what, I, what like, I'm hearing is I need to do a, like a retelling of Christie and the Walking Disaster, but focus more on the interpersonal stuff with Bart. 
<laughs> yes. Um, I, I love it. Like, let's just write our own fanfic version of it. Um, it, it, it just like, like, because there was so much other stuff happening, like you said, that it wasn't focused on any one thing. We didn't really get to dig into that back and forth that mm -hmm. like, what, that would be fascinating to me. You get your, your girl, like, um, Christy, who is thought of boys as in the beginning. Oh my God. Her, her initial little monologue about boys, mm -hmm. um, I have to share this because it made me literally laugh out loud. Um, as I'm pulling it up, one of my uh, just sort of random asides is that, dude, it's been a long time since we've had a Christie book, and she is funny. Mm -hmm. um, so many uh, um, like funny asides about things. Yep. But here's what she says. Um, well, I thought I could go talk to him. I wouldn't like it, but I would do it. Why wouldn't I like it? Well, a lot of reasons. For one thing, you can never tell about eighth grade boys. Half of them are normal and the other half are jerks. And in this neighborhood, about half of both groups are also snobs. I figured my odds. I had about a 25% chance of getting a plain jerk, a 25% chance of getting a snobby jerk, a 25% chance of getting a plain snob, and a 25% chance of getting a regular old nice guy. Yep, I copied I just, and pasted that whole provision into my notes because I was like, that is perfect. And I just love I just how like, logical so she is about it. She's like, okay, here are my chances that he's actually cool. <laughs> exactly. And so then for so to be that logical and dispassionate, like she it does, doesn't even cross her mind that he might be cute. Like, right. Right. She's, normal, she's just thinking about the like baseball piece of it. And like, yeah, I want to you, deal with this guy. I hope he's normal. It doesn't matter if exactly. he's cute. <laughs> like she's always, she's worried about the normal of mm -hmm. it, where if it were Claudia, the very first thing Claudia or Stacy would ask would be, ooh, I wonder what he looks like. Yeah. A cute boy my age. That would be their very first consideration. And she doesn't think that at all. So then she gets over there and is blindsided by the fact that he is very, very cute. I think she uses like three varies. She does use three um, varies because I wrote that down in particular too because I was like, <laughs> that is a lot of varies, Christy. Yeah. Like she is like, whoo. And then, like you said, it goes back and forth because he really does. He behaves pretty shitty. Mm -hmm. And not in like a Logan, they don't re realize he's shitty way, um, but like actually shitty in a way that she is supposed to respond to and have to process. Like that would have been far more interesting. What do you do with that when it, it, I almost would have liked it better if he didn't turn out to be a good guy, if he did just turn out to be, a, a, you know, kind of an asshole. And she was like, well, what do you do with the fact that the boy, a boy I think is really cute. I never think any boys are cute. I think this boy is cute and he's a jerk. Mm -hmm. And cause that is not an uncommon thing for girls. Um, hence problematic faves. <laughs> yeah. So like side note, here's like a whole conversation between Christy and Bart that I copied and pasted, which is, I think after the bashers come to, um, the practice and, are like mocking the kids. I think maybe not. No, it's before, but so, okay. I'm just going to read it. Bart looked thoughtful. I don't think so, but most of my kids are a little older than yours. They're about seven to nine. They're pretty much past being afraid of the ball and stuff. They're not great players, but they aren't babies. The crushers aren't babies. I cried. Bart flushed. Lighten up. He said, I didn't mean that. I was just pointing out that the bashers are older. Sorry, I said, and then practically melted as the streetlights came on and caught Bart's hair, giving it a sort of glow. Bart was the cutest guy I'd ever seen. Hey, said Bart, I've got an idea. Just to show you that I think your team is as good as mine, even if the kids are younger, how about a game? Bart's bashers challenge Christie's crushers. Lighten up. Like, I was like, what yep. the? And then she, like, apologizes. Like, Bart, you're being an asshole right now. Like, oh, you and suck. That, 
that offer of the game is the most condescending thing ever. Right. It's just, like, just oh, to hey, show we'll, that I we'll, think they're okay. Ugh. We'll toss you a pity game because I think you're kind of cute. Like, uh, lighten up. Oof. oof yeah, the lighten, lighten up, up, like, really mm. got me. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. But again, I do think that that is a case of the book not knowing what how terrible he is um, versus the times when the book does know how terrible he is. Right. Um, so anyway, I, I just... Uh, it just again feels like a missed opportunity, um, and and I know we say that every once in a while, but it's it really is because we love these books, mm-hmm. and there there can be more. Because um, there we there are books in this series where they they have done more, and they've done a really great job with some of these situations or characters where you can take that you know that hint of greatness and like turn it into something really good. And here it's like we can see what Bart could have been, or a way that the story could have gone that would have been better. I mean, as we've mm-hmm. discussed, like this book is not, it, it, it's fine. You know, like it, it's, it's fluffy, it's light, it's entertaining. But like, just from the conversation we've been having, like there are so many ways that this could have just been elevated and made a, a little bit better and overall just better. And that, so we're, we're not disappointed. We're just, I guess we are a little disappointed. Like we're disappointed that it's not the book that it could have been, even though we yeah. still love it. And that, like you said, we love these books so much. We love these characters. We love Anna Martin. And we know that they can do more, and we wish that they had all the time instead of just some of the time. <laughs> exactly. Just to to clarify that criticism does not indicate that we don't like things. I think sometimes people, when For they sure. listen to podcasts about something that they love, expect the people to love everything all the time. Um, and uh, that's, quite frankly, not what I'm interested in. I want to hear, like, mm-hmm. actual get into it. So anyway, Um but along those same lines, don't remember what I was going to say. Never mind. <laughs> um, totally lost my train of thought. Uh, oh, I do remember. But I think um, what we're actually seeing is, the more I think about it, it's got to be at least partially informed by the, the release schedule. We're looking right. at a book a month. Like, I, I, they are not long or complicated books. And granted, half of them are filled up with the same details that are present in every book. Um, and it still takes time to right. write. And I, I think um, we can definitely tell that some of the books are of um, higher, not quality, but like um, stickiness or, or substance, I guess mm-hmm. is the word. Some of them are, are more substantive than others. And it really just feels like every once in a while, it's like, Ooh, I, that one was a lot. I need a quick one that right. I can just sort of dash I just need off. to grind through this and get it done for sure. And I mean, it, it might also be a product of, you know, maybe there are certain characters that are more fun to write for and it's easier mm-hmm. to get into their frame of mind. I mean, like, I'm sure that if I were writing this, I would have a difficult time with some of the characters over others. I mean, even just looking at our, you know, quarantine emergency meeting episodes, some of the characters yeah. were like, I mean, you know, like, you, for example, like when you were, were trying to figure out Marianne, you're sort of like, oh, I don't know as much, you know, but like Claudia was like, oh, this X, Y, Z, Christy, like, you know, it's, so it's like, exactly. who's, which characters can you sort of put yourself into a little easier? And maybe that helps write you know, helps the author write 
more quickly or have a better time. Although I think making that argument is sort of interesting because I know Anna Martin I was has just said say. many times that she was a Christie. She always sort of felt like she identified the most with Christie. So it's funny that this is a Christie book where we're having this conversation where we think it could be better. And But but the thing is, I think that, that what the thing that made it so difficult is what a strong grasp that she has of Christy mm-hmm. because it, it is really enjoyable to read. Um, we are like only just getting into, like I said, talking ourselves into not liking it as much because uh, um, the actual experience of it, even in the like deep dive note taking experience of it for me um, was still very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And a large part of that is because of how well she does write Christy. Yes. Um, like we talked about those asides. We talked about, we read full passages of, of Christy just being Christy. Um, it, it, about boys like so funny um so i i think there's a lot of that is really um what carries this book mm-hmm. so i i think that um even I, we haven't even got it into it you mentioned it in your um summary but the watson of this book could have been a whole book i mean mm-hmm. he is incredible um and uh, i love that um we you know he's that their family unit is being solidified, but we really had one book where with, with the wedding where she was like, okay. And sort of like came around, but it, 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 that was the last time we really, she was just getting used to the neighborhood and Christy and the snobs. And now she's full on like Watson's the best thing since sliced bread. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why? I think it would have been more exciting or not exciting, I guess, but more fascinating for me to read a book about how Christy got there, about how she and Watson bonded over baseball. Because have we ever heard that Watson loved baseball before? I don't recall that being a detail. Yeah. It's just sort of like, I mean, yes, I, I love that piece of this story, but this relationship between them is sort of almost already fully formed or at least a lot closer to fully formed than, like you said, the last time we really saw Watson and Christy interact, it was still sort of like awkward and figuring things out like she was okay with him, but she wasn't like comfortable with him. He wasn't necessarily someone she, because she you know, she was questioning whether she could ask him you know, what was okay for her to ask him for, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously she wouldn't ask for, you know, four years of college, but could she ask for a VCR? Like, so it's sort of interesting that that was the last time we really saw Christy talking about her relationship. And now she's like, you know, he always tells me to do my best and try hard. And as long as I've tried my hardest and to do my best, then he'll be proud of me. And it's like, what I want that conversation. Like you said, like I want a book between the prior book and this book where we get a little bit more of that relationship building. Cause while as I love the relationship they have now, I think that that would have been a very interesting thing for kids reading these books to see the progression from, I hate Watson to I'm okay with Watson to, you know, our relationship is growing stronger and we're getting to know each other and become a more of a solid family unit to now I'm going to start a baseball team and I need Watson to be the one to help me because I know how much he'll support me. And, you know, he knows so much about baseball and he loves baseball. So this would be the perfect thing for us to do together. And I feel a little bit, you know, let down that we didn't get to see more of that. We just sort of got to this point and it's like, and here we are and we're super solid stepfather daughter relationship. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Even as a um, more evidence of the scattershot feel of this, we do get that Danny Tanner moment with Christy and Watson, but mm-hmm. like, again, three fourths of the way through the book, like before the big game even starts. And she's just recounting 
that they had had this conversation at one point mm-hmm. about a math test um, that she studied her, her hardest on but didn't do well. And he wasn't mad because she did her best and then offered to help. And mm-hmm. then she felt that she could could ask for help because he you know, was so supportive in that way. Right. That's huge. That's such a big thing. And it's to be just shoved sort of unceremoniously in the middle of all of this other stuff. Right. I, that does a disservice to that message, um, which is a really, really important one mm-hmm. that I think, um, I don't know. It, it was, again, I'm more disappointed now that we're talking about it. <laughs> just because, yeah, um, really, I mean, that. I feel like every time we're ever like, Maybe not every time. The times when we're disappointed with books that are just sort of like light and fluffy, it's always because we want it to do better, not because we don't like it. But it's like we want it we're to very be very Tyra Banks right it... now. <laughs> we're rooting for you. Like yeah. we just we we can see their potential and we want it to be as good as it can be, and it's not always the best it can be. But like you said, this is this is coming from a place of love. And if we didn't love the babysitters club as much as we do, we wouldn't be having this conversation about how we wish that they had, you know, had the relationship with Watson better and shown Bart in a different light and with more depth. And, you know, we, we would never have even gotten there. We've just been like, Oh yeah, it's a book, whatever the end. (laughs) Exactly. The fact that we can just have these conversations in the first place tells you how much better they are than a lot of the standard, um, children's fair that just gets um tossed out because it's easy because it's fast and uh, not that there's anything wrong with that mm-hmm. there's some definitely something to be said for fast food books and entertainment as well um i certainly love my um sunday afternoon hangover movies um just as much as i love some of the things that make me like really think and dig mm-hmm. into it um so there's there's definitely a place for both and again we keep getting to come back to the fact that these are meant for small children (laughs) like um so i i I do think that we at least try to keep our critiques to a level that makes sense for young kids reading them that we're Mm -hmm. not you know holding them to a standard of what we would expect of things aimed at even ya um but and um it's from a place of love all right so I think that's enough, um, like, negativity for the moment. <laughs> um, do you have any other big thoughts, or do you want to switch over to some random, fun, stray observations? Um, I think we've covered all the the big stuff, and I think there's a lot of sort of fun, one-off things we can circle back on to bring it back to the positive side of everything. So I say let's dive right into those hilarious asides. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so I told you the one um, unexpected way that this was a, um, a a big reminder of childhood for me in a not-so-fun way. Um, another thing that it was like an unlocking aha moment, um, Christy's vocabulary throughout this whole book, where she like uses big words and then explains mm-hmm. what they mean. I was obsessed with having a big vocabulary as a kid. It was a compliment I got relatively often, and I always attributed it to books Mm -hmm. and I had totally forgotten that that came directly from this and I was like oh that's cool you can like learn big words and that Mm -hmm. makes her sound really smart um and it was it was one of those things that like I said I it happens to me a lot when I'm doing this when I start reading it and it like unlocks something in Mm -hmm. my brain it like unlocked this whole um oh man I'd forgotten about that obsession um 
and it, I'm looking back, I'm certain I was relatively obnoxious using, you know, giant words when they were not necessary. But um, that was dual Christie and um, Anne Shirley. Mm-hmm. Anna Green Gables had a big, a big part in that as well. But it was just a fun little, I was like, oh yeah. Um, sometimes reading Christie is really, really fun for me. And sometimes it's like, <laughs> oof. Um, okay. I was that way too. (laughs) Well, I think one thing that's sort of interesting on the vocabulary, because that was one of my sort of random asides, just the fact that Christy uses some words that to a young reader, you know, like a, an eight-year-old maybe wouldn't have seen those words before. Like she defines fertile, she defines, um, crucial. So I think as a sort of lesson for younger kids, like you can use this book to learn some of those words to help grow your vocabulary. So I think I thought that was sort of a fun thing that, you know, it, it's it's not only Christy sort of pointing out, like, look at this vocabulary that I have. It's also an interesting thing. Like, you now learned three new words in this book that you maybe wouldn't have exactly. heard of otherwise. Or you maybe have heard the words, but you, you know, you didn't really know exactly what they meant, even though you could sort of try to figure it out in context and, you know, whatever you know, your parents said it or one of your teachers said it or you read it in another book, but they didn't really clearly indicate what it was. I thought that was kind of fun that it could be a teachable moment as well. Exactly. And not only did it teach them those specific words, but it, it taught you that, that that's possible, that it, you, there are other words that you could look up and use to to mean other things. Like it, it sort of, um, we talk often about one of our favorite things about these books is the teaching us to read how to read Mm -hmm. that this is a new technique here's how you learn about what words mean um you find out how you use them you can look them up you can talk to your watson whoever he may be to tell you what those those mean um and i i love that because i am a giant nerd and words are magic um and what help make build the world you live in. So mm-hmm. I just loved that. I, that made me so happy. That was one of the things that really um, balanced some of the things that made me sad. Mm-hmm. It, it, that made me, that made my heart smile. Yeah. I also really loved at the very beginning of the book, it's sort of the narration sort of dumps you in the middle of a bunch of things mm-hmm. happening at Christie's house. And she's, you know, saying, you know, Karen and Andrew are doing this and David Michael and Sam and Charlie and Watson and my mom. And, you know, then there's Shannon and Boo Boo. And then she, and she is sort of this like aside to the reader, like, are you confused yet? Let me explain. Yep. <laughs> like, I loved, I, I loved, loved that. that so much. It was just like that. That's such a Christie thing. Like to be like, Okay, let me explain. <laughs> like, I just let me back up. Aside to the reader, I love that. Like, I I always love anytime, and I've called this out a couple times. Like, anytime that the narrator character of the book like sort of acknowledges that they're telling someone this story, whether it's as a reader of a book or if they were just sort of recounting it verbally. Like, you know, I I just love those sort of like direct to the audience commentary. It always. It always brings a smile to my face just because I think it's so fun because it's not every single Me book. Too. It's not multiple times in a book, but like just here and there. And it's always it's always a nice sort of surprise when it happens. I love a good fourth wall break mm-hmm. myself. And I, I think the reason I love it so much is because if they're talking to me, if Christy is talking to me, that makes me feel like a part of the book, a mm-hmm. part of the story. Um, and that is uh, so magical. And I think that's what, such a great thing that um, these books do to really, um, I, I think one of the coolest things about the Baby Stars Club 
in general um, is how it really makes people feel a part of the club. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is one of the ways that it really, really does that. I mean, just look at now. That's still happening. Like We're having new generations of BSE girls um, calling the the phone line to find Mm -hmm. out which character they are. So um, I know you just did your video. I've got I'm going to do mine. I can't wait. I can't. I'm, I'm excited to see who I get. Gee, mm-hmm. I wonder. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, I, I love that too. That that makes me. It really does make me so happy. And I I like it in anything. Um, mm-hmm. I always love a a fourth wall. I love being um, in on the secret. Or yeah. I guess it feels like you know being part of the joke, part of the the inner circle. Feels that's just human nature. That just feels good. Definitely. Um, one of the things that I really loved. Um, that that made me laugh because this has happened a couple of times now and I, I know that it is going to continue is um, they do that very sitcom-y thing where um, whatever the topic of the book is, everybody's into it all at the same time. Like mm-hmm. um, last week it was – or last week, last episode it was the um, the jokes. Yep. Everybody knew about the same joke shop. Everybody was in jokes at the same time. And now 40-some kids are beyond who's in Little League. <laughs> Right. Are interested in um, all interested in baseball at the same time. Like we already we already called out the fact that Watson never heard of we've never heard him mention baseball before, and all of a sudden he's a giant baseball fan. He loves baseball. And chances baseball. are, um, it, like I know these books that the the Crushers stay a thing, but like not every babysitting event is going to include them playing softball. Whereas in this book, every single time someone babysit sat a kid. They were playing softball. We're talking about the Crushers. Yeah, it was like they had the easiest babysitting job because it was just to take them to the Crushers practice and like hang out. Like the number of of non babysitting job, non babysitting babysitting jobs is like astronomical in this book. At one point, Chris even calls out Claudia for being like, huh, what? Am I doing something? Because, yeah, that would be very me in that moment. Yeah. Like, you're playing with the kids. What do you need me for? Um, and along those same tokens, uh, I don't know what that phrase was, but along that same line um, is the idea that, um, that like Claire's tantrums as if that's something that always happens and not just an invention for this book because they need like another thing for a kid. Although they specify the that Claire's tantrums are only baseball related. That's what I mean. That, like <laughs> they, they had just invented the fact that she has baseball tantrums because they needed something to like a, a needed another bad behavior on the team. Right. Um, it, Cause I'm pretty sure we're never going to hear about Claire's baseball tantrums again. Right. Um, it, they'll well, yeah, either become Mallory's just... like, yeah, even when she's watching it on TV, she, she has yeah. tantrums like really <laughs> no, like, no, cause Claire, I don't buy that. I don't buy Claire that at Pike, all. Claire Pike, the five-year-old, definitely watches baseball on tv and gets so into it that she gets has a tantrum when something goes wrong for her her team because of of course she also has a team that she roots for as a five-year-old and we who have known them her entire life and babysit for her often some of us who even go on vacation with the family have never once heard or experienced such baseball mallory has to clarify that to this point yeah Exactly. So, like, those kinds of things always just make me laugh. They're like, eh, we'll just throw this in there right. for the oh, convenience also, of the plot. Yeah. We, we need someone it's, else to have issues while playing baseball. So, uh, Claire, it's you. Here you go. It's one of my very favorite um, tropes on a TV show when, like, a random sibling we've never heard of and never hear from again shows up for either a one or two episode mm-hmm. arc. And, and then they, like, go back into the ether and then you never hear from yeah. them again. Like, who? Um, that, that felt very much like that to me. So that, that made me laugh. Definitely. Um, 
So as I pointed out when we were in the you know plot of the book, Christie's Crushers is spelled Christie with a K, Crushers with oh, a K. Yes. Um, Karen is vehemently opposed to spelling crushers with a k she it, she hates it so much that she has her mom so all of the the kids all get iron on letters and make their own t-shirts that will match christy's or karen's mom makes the shirt which is a little bit strange that edie didn't yeah make it, i thought that was since she was probably she was making one for david michael and for christy so you'd think she would make all of them but karen has her mom make her shirt crushers with a c because she can't ha- handle the misspelling of Christie's Crushers with a K, which, like, I totally get. Like, purposeful misspellings like that drive me crazy. So annoying. I hate it so much. Like, like Miller Lite, L-I-T-E, like, anything like that. I'm just like, uh, no, I don't, I don't like it. Just <laughs> spell it right. You can spell it, you know, the British way if it, you know, if it, you want to be fancy, you know, if you want to spell theater or color or gray, like, I, I'm one of those people when it comes to theater and gray, like I spell gray with an E and I spell theater with an R E because I just sort Same. of like started doing that at some point and it's an acceptable version of the spelling and I like the way it looks more. So that's what I'm I an do. Anglophile. The yeah. End. <laughs> so it, I, like I at least spell color C-O-L-O-R. So I'm not adding in that extra U. So that I feel like that's like, maybe a bridge too far for me. But, yeah. Like, you're not that pretentious. <laughs> exactly. But like Christie's Crushers, I... I feel you, Karen. And I know that I always sort of rag on Karen. And then I realize that there are actually things that I really like about Karen and she can be pretty adorable. So I, again, this is another acknowledgement that I am walking back my initial feelings about Karen Brewer. Okay. But that's so funny because I love Karen, but she is a Karen. She 100% grows up to be the the Karen like her response <laughs> she when Chrissy's like but it's not going to be spelled the same as everybody it's, it's spelled wrong she goes mine is spelled correctly <laughs> it's like oh that is very oh. very I want to talk to your manager energy and I was like oh god Karen grows up to be the Karenist queen Karen of the Karens for sure um which uh I, you know what I have, I have no 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 complaints about that. I, I love her for it. It cracks me up because I firmly also believe that she's going to be the kind of Karen that uses her power, Karen powers for good. Mm-hmm. Um, like for the sure. lady who, with the, with the voting um, suppression, who was like, uh-uh-uh, ah, 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 not yep. on my watch. Exactly. Take me to your manager. <laughs> the best kind of Karen. Good Karen yes. energy. <laughs> um, anti-racist, fight the power Karen. I love it. On board. Um yeah, there's nothing inherently wrong with being a Karen. It's where you put that Karen energy yes. that makes all the difference. Um, I say I have to reassure myself because I am fully aware that as a 30-something white woman, I have built-in genetic Karen tendencies. <laughs> um, it's just sort of something that we're all born into um, and must rise above. Anyway, um one of the other things that I was thinking of, and I, I, I mentioned this before, but I think it's going to be becoming a reoccurring thing I think about as I read these. I want a companion series of what the hell is happening with Charlie with all of this. <laughs> like, right. He's a 17-year-old boy that three times a week has no problem taking his sister across town, driving around for half an hour, then picking her up and driving her home. Like, and then also saint? managing the refreshment table at the game and like diving to grab things when Jackie inevitably knocks the legs out from half the table and things go flying. Like Charlie, I, yeah, I, I, I need more 
more explanation and like internal monologue from Charlie and like who he is because yeah I, I don't understand what is going on or and even it, more it to sense. to that at least on parts of it like Sam is right there helping Charlie man the refreshment table and like be supportive and it's like what fifteen year old boy is like yeah. helping his little sister manage her you know ragtag softball team <laughs> events. And they are not like losers or ugly right. or like like we uh, not ugly. That sounds awful. But I, I just but they're mean, both like, popular. They have a lot of yes. friends. They have a lot of things to do. They both play sports. Like, how do they also have time to like drive? Like drive you said, Christy drive around. Christy yeah. around three nights a week, every single week. And it's not like he does it two days a week and her mom does it yet. Like it's always Charlie. And yes, they pay him a dollar each way or whatever, a dollar a meeting. Like he's getting something, but like, is it really worth it? Like, cause it's not like he drives there, drives home, drives there. And then the drives home again. Like he probably has to like find somewhere to like kill a half an hour, but he can't okay. kill more than a half okay. an hour. Okay. Okay. Who is Charlie having a torrid affair with that lives? <laughs> In the surrounding area of Claudia's. We've got some suspects. Um, I think there's a story there. Mrs. Barrett. He's got a half an hour to kill. Is it Mrs. Barrett? Ooh. I think it's Mrs. Barrett. Ooh, Charlie and Mrs. Barrett. <laughs> he has no problem driving um, Christy because he's got that half an hour of Mrs. Robinson's sex lessons that he can get <laughs> three times a week from Mrs. Barrett. Oh, I like this. I like this. I like this that is, too. Um, and Mrs. Barrett is like young enough that she would like i mean not that whatever he's he's well he's 17 i wish he was 18 i'd feel more comfortable about me too. it me too okay fair yep i don't like it We're, okay right. so he's when 17. when we do this like retcon version or this sort of like new version we're just going to age him up maybe he'll be 19 he's living at home yeah. while he's like a freshman at stony brook university so he's you know like what? let's make it unproblematic Let's make it a tort affair with Janine, who will age her up and age him down a little bit. And so there's no weird Mrs. Robinson, icky consent stuff. It's just... That could work. Because he's 17, she's 15, but she's, like, emotionally or intellectually, like, 40. So she... <laughs> and they have, like, some... Oh, maybe he's... Maybe. Ooh, maybe there's, like, some... He's... a she's tutoring him he's not doing well in school because he's more concerned with sports and there's like that love hate thing and yeah there's so there, there could be some really basically what i'm saying is there is very fertile ground in christie's words for um <laughs> for what is charlie up to so um we could talk about that for another 10 hours and we have already gone over an hour so um, <laughs> maybe we will Write that and post it somewhere and share. <laughs> share our fanfic. Better yet, better yet, if anybody has suggestions for what Charlie is up to, Ooh, yeah. send them our way. And, and we'll share them with everybody because that would be really fun. That would be super entertaining. What, what is Charlie doing? Then we could we can have a whole like um, fake podcast, like a fake uh, true crime podcast. About <laughs> What's the mystery? How does Charlie spend... His out, has half an hour, three days a week. I love it. Okay. Any other random observations, stray thoughts? I have a couple just sort of like stray thoughts. So I will I'll hit them real quick because there's not really much to discuss. 
first, um, when Christy is sort of describing all of her friends, um, she says that Mallory and Jesse were both in the market for a best friend and found each other, which was like the cutest. Yep. Um, I loved that. When Christy shows up to Claudia's house for the first meeting of the book, she says, she says, Claude is just like a squirrel. She hides food and then forgets where she hid it, which is like the perfect description of Claudia. So She's always like, I think I have this here and like digging under her bed or in whatever drawer. So I thought that was fun. And then my last sort of random thought, um, despite Christy loving to describe gross things to, or, you know, discussing things to gross all of her friends out, apparently she is incredibly freaked out by bloody and loose teeth. I did Fun note that fact. as well. <laughs> I noted that as well. Cause I was going to ask you how, what are your thoughts on loose teeth? Um, were, did, were you a kid who liked to yank them out or were you grossed? Um, I was sort of a combination. Like I would Me like too. play with it and then I'd be like, Oh, I can't do this. And then I would like start playing with it again. And like, when it was like sort of loose and like hanging, I would it, it, it was, I was a kind of gross kid. Like I liked to play with the teeth. I felt me too. I me enjoyed too, like too. that feeling with your tongue, and it's like you can sort of like stick it in underneath. Ugh. That's so. Gross oh my god! One hundred percent. I was exactly the same way. I was gonna say I was like this weird combination of like both of them, where I was fascinated but horrified at the yes, same time. Exactly. And like I couldn't I couldn't look away. I couldn't stop messing with it. Like probing it with my tongue yeah. even though um yeah oh that's so funny okay <laughs> apparently that's more of a universal thing I, that was also a nice let us know moment. if you guys how did you deal with loose bloody teeth as children <laughs> or or are we just two freaks that found each right, other we, we just happen to be weird in the same way on this specific thing <laughs> and wouldn't i don't know wouldn't terribly surprise me <sighs> okay anything any other random thoughts before we get to Mallory and no. the trouble with twins. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I could fully like go down a whole list of everything Christy said that just made me crack up, mm-hmm. but we would be here another two hours. So yeah. And um, just as an aside, there's not really any good fashion cause it's a Christy book and she's not into describing yeah. the fashion. So we can breeze right past that. <laughs> Although I did, that did make me, uh, I did note one thing when she's describing Dawn, um, they, it, no matter who it is that's describing Dawn, always just says she has her own style. Mm-hmm. We've pointed out before, but this time Christy called it California casual. Yes. So that's a little bit more specific, but still means absolutely nothing. It's just so, two C words mashed together. <laughs> yeah. Like her own sense of style, California casual. I, I still, that, that means nothing. So, um, I think that's funny. All right. So let's talk about Mallory and the trouble with twins. Um, I will start by saying um, up until about two seconds ago, I was assuming that this was about um, her family. And then I realized, nope, those are triplets, not twins. (laughs) So I don't have um, the slightest clue what happens in this book. So I'm going to make something up. Um, Mallory meets twins and they decide to mess with her. She's babysitting them and they like change clothes and like pull pranks on her by switching places and she likes it i don't know got nothing okay well i'm just gonna read what my notes say because it's sort of in the same vein as what you just said um okay 
I don't think I've read this one, question mark. Um, I'm assuming we get a new family with twin girls and they are some kind of trouble for Mallory and the Babysitter's Club. Maybe they switch places or pretend to be each other to confuse people. I feel like twins that are trouble in shows or movies usually have a secret language or something, so maybe that happens too. Ooh, pig Latin. Yeah, They're... like like they... Yeah, I, I feel like... I feel like twin girls... I, I don't know why. I think... I didn't even think I looked at the cover of the book. My guess is it's girls. I just feel like Mallory babysitting twin girls seems very, like, on brand for the next book for whatever reason. And I feel like when it's, like, you know, eight-year-old twin girls in anything pop culture – Aside from The Shining, it's I was like, just gonna say. <laughs> I feel like it's always like the way that they are trouble is like they have some secret way that they communicate with each other, and they use that to like play pranks and not pranks like Betsy Sobeck, but like to to trick people and sort of put them on edge and make them feel uncomfortable. Because I I, I don't know why I would think that twins are like that, but, but no, like pop culture twins right. are always like trying to pull one over on people and I don't I feel like that's what's going to happen and you know what the more you were talking about it and I'm like thinking about it and processing I I think some of it's coming back to me I think you're right I think it is twin girls I think they are it's similar to the pranks um in that they're they're pulling them but um whereas Betsy was just like wanted she thought she was having fun these girls are like actually mean spirited Mm -hmm. I think if I'm not mistaken, they're a little bit older, like, and I, I maybe they even have some resentment about being babysat specifically about Mallory. Um, and I do think you're right. They have their own language and I feel like she gets back at them by talking pig Latin, like, and then, and they oh. don't know that. And they're like, oh, well, and she's like, dose of your own medicine. Um, like picking up tricks that she got, like she works with the triplets to help her, like, how do you handle twin stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, but I could be filling all of that in in my brain. I have no idea. I so. feel like consulting um, with the triplets is a a good a good thought. I think that that would make sense and would be reasonable. Okay, and it would add another layer of story to the story. That's true. So we'll see. I, I don't know. Trouble with twins doesn't imply a more juicy topic, but who knows? We'll see. It, we don't tend to get too fluff in a row. We, right. Usually, we get it like. I, I I don't know, I guess maybe two to three meteor books than a fluff, two to three meteor than a fluff. If yeah. I Although can we didn't that think that we were going to get Jesse's racism book in Jesse's secret language. So Very for true. all we know, there's going to be some, some crazy out of left field messagey issue You're right. that comes up. We'll just have to read it and find out and discuss with all of be you the one... next week or two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so any for other... All we know... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, for all we know, this could be the book where they get into um, the genocide of the Native American people. Like, we, for all we know, uh, total left turn. Um, yeah. Sorry. No, I don't have anything else. I was just being a, a brat. Okay. So then no final club business? Um, why don't we remind people where they can reach us and rate and review? Because that helps us out with iTunes. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GenerationBSC or email us at GenerationBSC at gmail.com. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.